This episode of the Care Matters podcast is dedicated to Katie Mountcastle, 1967-2022, a much-loved and missed daughter, sister and friend. The Care Matters podcast is brought to you by the ESRC Centre for Care and Circle, the Centre for International Research on Care, Labour and Equalities. In this series, our researchers welcome experts in the field and those giving or receiving care to discuss crucial issues in social care as we collectively attempt to make a positive difference to how care is experienced and provided. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Care Matters podcast. My name is Rachel Black and I am the Impact Specialist at the Centre for Care and I'm joined today by Chris and Liz and we're going to be talking about this um, notion and idea that adult social care is is hidden or invisible as a sector and then within that the, the, the work and the role of unpaid carers is also invisible and people are unaware of, of the work that happens. So as I say I'm joined by Chris and Liz. Chris is an unpaid carer He's also the trustee of Sheffield Mencap and Gateway and Nomad Opening Doors, and he sits on the expert panel of Sheffield Carers Centre. Liz is an unpaid carer, and she sits on the Quality Objectives panel and the Carers Expert panel of um, Sheffield Carers Centre. Thank you both so much for joining me today. This idea that adult social care is invisible has been explored in, in, in lots of different ways and across lots of different kind of um, means, but some recent examples are the um, House of Lords Adult Social Care Committee inquiry that they entitled Lifting the Veil, uh, where they explored the impact of the invisibility of adult social care on people in receipt of care and support and the people who care for them. And this year's Carers Week theme was making caring visible, valued and supported. So again, exploring this idea that the um, the efforts and the actions of unpaid carers are largely invisible and hidden. So I'm going to sort of t- turn to you now. Um, and my sort of first question is, is in two parts, really. It's, do you, do you agree this idea that adult social care and um, the, the work and the efforts of unpaid carers are invisible and why you think that might be. And if I could come to Chris first and then Liz, if that's okay. So Chris. Yeah, I I certainly agree. There are a number of reasons social care doesn't have a a good name in the population like the NHS. Everybody uses the NHS, but only people who really need social care use social care. So a large proportion of the population don't use social care. Some people can't even see why it's there in the first place. The government doesn't recognise social care because it's never been properly funded uh, and still isn't. And even with COVID, social care wasn't looked at, especially people with learning disability, because they weren't on the priority list for vaccinations and neither were unpaid carers until it was brought to the government's attention, but it should have been with the government's attention because they get, or the Health and Social Care Department does, through the LEADER programme that was run through Bristol University, which is looking at the low mortality of uh, deaths with people with learning disability. So the evidence is there. It's just that 
they're not bothering to look at it. Thank you. Thank you, and Liz. Yeah, I agree with Chris. Um, recently, Sheffield City Council have produced a um, prototype of the carer's delivery plan, which says that each carer saves the economy 19,336 per annum. I think that that's an underestimate, because if you think about how much it would um, cost a government or a local authority if there weren't unpaid carers. I think we're hidden because, like Chris says, it would highlight the broken elements in society. We're not attractive, we don't make good um, good news stories, and it's not a good look for any government. Uh, Society is failing those people that are vital to shore up a system that can't fully deliver what is necessary because it would require being proactive instead of reactive and that being proactive would again highlight something that is brushed under the carpet now and the increase in delivery would be complicated to deliver and very expensive to do properly. So yeah, I think we are hidden uh, and I think we might, yeah, we, we are ignored. Yes, I would say so. I think we touched on uh, a number of reasons why that might be in your answers. Um, I'm just going to go, I suppose, pick some of those out and going back to what Chris said at the start of kind of the idea of like a bad press so that people don't really want to think about needing care and support or um, or that, that a loved one might do and, and I think some of that is that um, you got both use the term about sort of press and good news stories is that there's a sort of stigma or a, um, a worry attached to it because we hear we hear some of the negatives um, I just wondered what you thought about um, kind of could that be changed or does do we need to keep telling those kind of more negative stories to, to try and enact change <laughs> Depends how the negative stories are, are put forward. If it's put forward in a way that is detrimental to the person or social care, then no. If it's put forward as a way to improve social care, then yes. But it all depends what makes a good story. Yeah. And negativity makes a good story rather than positivity. Yeah, yeah. And there's been a, a genuine concern that people have about letting social care into their lives in some way isn't there that they will then lose control of that situation and that they're part of then quite a big big machine um we've got any thoughts yeah something just flashed in my mind as we were talking and about being a carer and about news around being a carer you could you could very easily produce good luck stories or interesting stories about being a carer I think that there's a problem about being a carer. If, if, I know that Sheffield Carer Centre have great difficulty getting people to identify themselves as carers. So that might be part of the issue in that it's something that people shy away from. So people shy away from admitting or actually accepting that that's what they're doing. For me, it's about... I'm sure, I'm sure with clever marketing, this could be made into look at what's happening in our society. Rather like during COVID, the good neighbourliness that was identified. 
it could very easily be turned around to say, look at what the people of the UK are doing, unbeknownst to us. Yeah, and actually sort of hailed as yeah. the, the kind of community and societal sure. sort of spirit of, look, look what we have the capacity to do yes. as well. Because yes. People are doing this on top of other commitments, working, looking yeah. after other children or grandchildren. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it's a... Another area that could be looked at is the importance of social care to the NHS. Yes. Because lack of social care brings more pressures yes. to the NHS because if it's not looked at as a proactive uh, situation, then it gets into a more serious situation. Yeah. Yeah. And the NHS picks up the tab. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When we talk about... Yeah. And, also, and also bed blocking. If there's yeah. no social care, you've got the ambulances waiting outside. You can't get in because there's no beds for them to go to. And that could well be because the patients that are ready for discharge can't be discharged to their own devices. They need help with social care and it's not there to, to be available for. Yes. So it's yeah. that kind of 22. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And as someone who think of these things as, as two different systems, but actually they're, they're so intertwined, aren't they? Yes. That, and they need yeah. to be... Funding and supporting each other really, and that they both got benefit. This, this why integration of the both services is a should be a major priority. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. And this sort of idea of people not recognising themselves as carers or not wanting to, because yes. that sort of sets some wheels in motion that they may not feel that they want to do. There's been kind of discussions about. Um, Whose role is it to support people to recognise that they're a carer, isn't there? I think and increasingly it's GPs or people would say that they would kind of speak to a GP. I just wondered if you had any thoughts about where the support might be to enable somebody to recognise that they are a carer or I suppose to reassure somebody who, who thinks they are but doesn't want to, to take that next step really. I mean, they know they're caring, but you're caring most likely for a relative. And it's seeing that parents look after children um, from from the birth to the grave, mm. and that's what a family does. It's not that it's looked at as something separate. Yeah, I, it is interesting, isn't it? Because there are times when I'm talking to people about my caring role, and some people get it and say, "You've got this forever." Whereas, you know, most people by the time their children are late teens, early 20s, are thinking a lot of my duties are now over. Um, a lot of my full-time duties are definitely over, even if I have to start looking after grandchildren. But going back to the identification of carers, um, I notice in my own GP's surgery, which is a, an excellent surgery, the notice about being a carer is very uh, vague and the poster itself is very small. Recently went up to Nether Green surgery with Gabrielle for some physiotherapy and the carer's notice then is the one from the Sheffield Carers Centre and is the first thing you see as you walk in the door. So it's interesting how some practices will take it far more seriously than others. Um, and both of them are in an area where I'm sure there will be many carers, especially of older people. 
Yes. I mean, that's another thing I think where people get muddled by adult social care. We don't quite understand what it is. is because when you think of social care, you maybe think of care homes. So you think of older people. And obviously your experiences are both that you've cared for somebody throughout their whole adult life so um, for you maybe social care feels very visible because you've been in it for a long time haven't you but yes. there are people who will never have come close to it until they're caring for an elderly relative maybe yes. or somebody in later life so yes. I think there's also this maybe unawareness of where social care comes into somebody's life that yes. they may just want to think that's not something I would think about until right. <laughs> it happens yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with GP practices it's it's a part of health that virtually everybody comes into contact with at least once in their life. Mm. But there again, they're under a lot of pressure, possibly again underfunded. And really, does the GP have the time to do that work? Um, most people possibly see a receptionist more than a GP mm. or speak to a receptionist more than a GP. And there is some work in Sheffield which is a follow-on project for some work that was done in Sunderland, I think, uh, whereby some forms have been produced to make it clearer to a receptionist what they need to be looking out for. Okay. And some pointers for when they do find a carer, what to do, where to signpost, etc. And there's a lot of work being done out of St Luke's on the uh, ECHO project as well. Right, about identification of carers. Because I think you're right, I think... Probably is that health sort of space, like GP surgeries, where actually somebody, maybe for a GP, needs to be able to spot the signs to think, well, actually, this person's brought this person in for several appointments now. What they're referring to sounds like that they are a carer and therefore can we sort of signpost some support or make, make that clear. And um, something that uh, there's, there's quite a lot around signposting isn't there pointing people in the right direction but some of the difficulties that still then falls to the unpaid carer to kind of be making all those different contacts as well isn't it and there's not always or there's rarely if ever a, a kind of care coordinator someone who's going to say it's just what I was going to say <laughs> yeah. and what's come to me as we were talking just then is it's all very well having the GP or the GP's receptionist being able to identify it many of those surgeries are overworked as it is the NHS is overworked what really needs there to be, isn't there, is that a sort of middle person who's an advocate or a, a broker mm-hmm. who simply helps that person who's, who has been identified to know where to access. So it's all very well having the signposting on the website, but you have to know how to use, where that, that, that signposting exists in the first instance. So it's, it's a role which would actually as Chris said earlier about being proactive rather than reactive, it's a role that might actually save money in the long run because you're not going through the hoops that you would normally go through because you've got somebody who's not exactly fast-tracking you but is certainly pointing you in the right direction in a much more efficient manner. Absolutely, yeah. I thought this idea of of proactive rather than reactive was was really... um, Interesting, and I think yeah. you're right. It's not. It's it's not the system. There may be sort of pockets of good practice, but over, overall, it's not people's experiences. Yeah. It is that mm-hmm. support comes to them. It's yes. that they are the person kind of navigating what is a really complicated yes. system. Yeah. It's, it is really complicated because when we're looking at the invisibility, we're looking at generally the invisibility of adult carers, mm. but we shouldn't forget that there's a fair 
a portion of young carers under the age of 16. They need to be concentrating on their education so that they can be a productive adult in later life. But in the family, they could be looking after vulnerable parents or vulnerable siblings. So therefore, it's not just GPs, it's the education department or teachers that need to be on the lookout. And where a child doesn't seem to be doing as well as they expected, is it that they're doing caring responsibilities? Because the first thing the family will look at is if we make this public, our children are going to be took away from us. So there's that. There's a lot of fear yes. bringing social care into any aspect of family life. Yes, I think that's a really important point, isn't it? Is that is that fear? Is that at this point now I've lost control? This the control decision has yes. gone into somebody else's hands, and what could that mean for me and my family and the people I love? I think that's because it's, it's, on yeah. many occasions it's been done by parents thinking they've done the best thing to to bring social care. And the next thing, the children have gone. Yeah. Hopefully that's a thing of the past, but you can never be sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a definite fear in people's minds, isn't it? Yeah. No, thank you. That's, that's been really um, interesting because it's, it's, it's not, there's not just the one reason there. It's not average care is invisible because of X. It's, it's multi-layered and there's lots of different reasons why it happens from people's own reluctance to engage to then... You know, are the services themselves making making you know people aware of what they're entitled to, what they're able to access? Are they making it easier, or straightforward for people? And we're saying that a lot of the time, no, it's not. And you know, are people able to to navigate all those different things to get what they need? And um, this idea of a kind of an advocate. And I think there are, you know, we we talked about Shepherd Carer Centre, and there are other sort of charities or community organisations that do that work, don't they? But I think often they're very overwhelmed or not not getting the funding they need to be able to make this a, a, a and they would find it difficult to identify at GP level for example yeah so you know you're not I don't know I'm sure it could I'm sure it could be improved and I'm sure that the carers center would want to know but it's not very visible it's not very it's not very easy it still seems a very ad hoc system. Yes. Yeah. And you're either lucky or you're unlucky in, in accessing it. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Chris was saying there about integration and that's, you know, it's not only integrating those two health and social care, but social care itself isn't integration, is that's it, as well? Right. So these Absolutely. Are lots of little bits of service. Yeah. It's also better integration within one organisation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Departments don't speak to each other. And as part of when we were kind of collating this evidence for the House of Lords inquiry, we talked to other characters. This had notion of of get of being lucky. You yes. know, did, did you manage to speak to the right person? Um, and also that the, that the support could be temporary as well. Is that things can be in place and, and working for now? Yes. But you know, could a change of government? Could a change of system? Could a knock this all again? And actually, what you've got at the minute that's working is changes um so i think this this idea of things being based on good luck rather than a than a um, a widely accessible equally available yes. system isn't yeah. it as well when a, uh, a situation occurs where 
the police are brought in or safeguarding is brought in, it's normally a breakdown of social care. And everybody's saying, well, why didn't people recognise this? Why didn't they speak to each other? And they have these multi-agency reviews where they all get together and discuss it. And then you get the dreaded phrase at the end, lessons will be learnt. Yes. Well, it looks as though these lessons aren't being learnt. No. Is it because nobody wants to learn? Is there no money to learn? If they don't start learning, then it's going to continue. Absolutely. And the kind of gap between... So there's a feeling there that the lessons have been learnt and they've been learnt often the hard way, but they've not been. But the, but the learning from these has not been put into practice, isn't yeah. it? I think that's the sort of frustration. Is it feels like these conversations that we're having aren't new conversations, but we're not seeing the changes. There, I mean, they, they're coming up with much more regularity these days for numbers of reasons. And if social care was more prominent, then possibly that wouldn't be the case, or that it was trusted more. Yes. So in terms of sort of impact, and I think we've sort of touched on this in some ways in that there's the sort of role that you have of, of trying to pull together lots and lots of different services, which is, which is a, a, an effort in itself, isn't it? Of, you know, being on the phone to lots of people or being email. Um, and the kind of lack of responsiveness. So that if you are going to approach a service because something's changing or a situation's arisen, are you going to get the help you need or is this going to be part of a very long process? So just think about kind of, I think we've touched on it in points, but, but the impact on you as, as unpaid carers, you know, well, is there anything there that we've sort of not covered that you would say, it's, it's kind of, it comes out of this invisibility or this lack of understanding. Is, is the general health of an unpaid carer? Yeah. Because it is stressful. It's stressful that... You're looking after the, somebody for years on end. You really want to do it, but then by doing so, your health suffers. Um, and really, that's even a bigger aspect onto uh, to the NHS as well. Yes. If social care was, was there and it wasn't as invisible as, as it is, people's health would improve. I have a phrase that I use for my mood at times. And I don't know whether I would still have this um, syndrome that I get if I hadn't, if I wasn't a carer. And it's called, I say, I'm suffering at the moment from low-level despair. And what it means is that it's there waiting all the time that I might get frustrated. I am getting increasingly weary about my role and that is because I am getting older um, but it always feels that there's something sitting on your shoulder either waiting to happen or happening or that you're dealing with um, and that's what I feel about I suppose the invisibility of a carer I could be in a supermarket by myself and no one would know that I was an unpaid carer but I know it. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I'd have to go back to 1976 and not have my child and then work out whether I was still the sort of person who would suffer from low-level despair. 
Yes. But and then you could be in the supermarket anyway, no one knows your carer, but you know that you've got that phone call yes. to this yeah. particular service yeah. to make, yeah. or you're waiting for an email yeah. from, or yeah. you've got a review coming up in a couple of days, that's haven't you? Right. I think that's the, it's that, yeah. like you say, that constantly, there's always something ticking over in your brain that takes And this you. idea of being in a meeting, I mean, I go to a Zumba class on a Wednesday, and I have to explain, I don't anymore, but I had to explain at the beginning that my phone would be left on. Everybody else, well, they might not have. Everybody else might have got their phone on. I don't know that they're carers. But my phone is on in case, wherever Gabrielle is, somebody telephones to say she's just had a fit or she's had a fall or something like that. Can you fetch her? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's not going away either. It's generally being recognised for quite a number of years that in Sheffield there are around 60,000 unpaid carers every year. About 20,000 disappear, but another 20,000 come on. And since COVID, it's viewed that that 60,000 has now increased to 90,000. And also, I think the um, amount of caring that people are doing has has become much more intense. So where it may have been a few hours in a week, it's now kind of more regular daily because other things haven't opened back up again. Some of the, the sort of support or the, the groups that people have relied on are, uh, are still sort of not happening because of COVID. So, uh, yeah. Well, there's, there's now long COVID, but people are living longer as well. So that means more complex health issues are coming forward. People with learning disabilities, even though they are generally viewed as uh, their early deaths are 20% below normal deaths, they are actually living longer as well. Yeah. So their complexities with their disabilities are going to be here much longer and because of the nature of their disabilities it means that their health and needs more care than it was previously Absolutely. and for a longer period of time yeah at the same time their carers are making some support yeah. yeah so we've talked about why Social care is invisible. Why the why the efforts and the the um, what unpaid carers do is invisible. We've talked about what that means to you. So what what would we you know if we could wave a magic wand? What would we like to see um, done differently? What do we think needs to to change? A magic wand. <laughs> yeah, it's the yes. funding. Funding yeah. money is what I put right at the end of my uh, notes. Yeah, money. So where would that money be? kind of going, what would you like to sort of see investment in? It's a number of, there's a, there's a lack of social workers mm-hmm. because of the, the work burdens they've got and because there's a lack, there's more pressure on the ones that's left. Not a lot of councils are having to use agency social workers, which are much more costly. So that's, that's the, the professional area. Yeah. But... In social care, when a family carer can't cope as, as long as they would like to, they've got to be in paid carers. And there's a, a real deficit of paid carers as well. Yes. The money they get is round about the national living wage, or they could be paid the real living wage, but currently there's not much difference in it. Nationals, 950, and the real living wage is 990. So there's only a, a 40p difference, which wasn't generally the case. It was much a much larger, larger gap. Yeah. But even that, 
doesn't compare to what people could earn in other low, generally low paid professions. Yes, absolutely. With much less responsibility. I mean, that's it, isn't yeah. it, as well? What, what people are doing compared to what they're being paid just doesn't, doesn't add up, does it, as well? And yeah. I think what's interesting about this is, isn't it, is just those figures that you've quoted and the fact that it is a low-paid occupation and therefore it's a low-status occupation when, in fact, it ought to be a highly valued occupation and the recompense should equal that, but it won't, and I don't think it ever will. So what you've got to do is remarket it, if you like, keep using this idea of marketing, but my whole thing is when you said what could we change, I think the first thing that has to be done is that we have to have a media campaign. There are lots of programmes out there about people with disabilities I tend not to watch them because I find them deeply disturbing. Um, but there's very little made of the, in those programmes about the people who support the people yes. with disabilities, the hidden people, going yes. back to um, the ethos of this, of this podcast. And it's what, what we value. And what's out there and promoted as a service is not valued. It, the social workers are bombarded by people like us saying, this is not good enough. And they know it's not good enough. So it's, it's a broken system. It needs money, but it also needs awareness. It needs a media mm. campaign yes. um, with an explanation of what being a carer means mm. to many different types of carers. And why aren't we identified? Why aren't we recognised? Why aren't we supported? And I think that's almost a philosophical question. Um, but practically, it is about money. And I don't know how this government or any subsequent government is going to find the will to support us financially. Yes. Support, yes. support services financially. Yeah. I don't have great optimism uh, mm. that anybody could do it because we go back to the original thing of it's, it's not very interesting, is it? It's not very exciting. It's not like giving you 400 quid off your energy bill. Yeah. It's not a quick win, is it? There's a lot <laughs> that needs to be unpicked and, and fixed and yeah. it's not going to be done sort of lightly. We don't have the magic wand, do we, to do it overnight? And it's not just a, a media campaign for the population, it should be a media campaign for government. Yes. Because uh, sometime this year, one government minister said that to help social care families should do more. Quite frankly, that person is not living in the real world because families are doing all they can and much more. Yes. Um, at the last count, in the UK, unpaid carers were saving the UK 139 billion a year. And when you you have a needs assessment for a person, unpaid care is not costed. I, I believe it's not costed because it would actually show that unpaid care is a much larger figure than social care can provide. 
I was also wondering whether there could be some link to the Equality Act. The Equality Act is now an umbrella term, isn't it, for all sorts of different inequalities. But this isn't an inequality. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to make, to put some sort of legality on, onto it. Yes, I think it's something that Carers UK have discussed. I don't know, the, the idea of making unpaid care a protective characteristic. Yes. So that then that means that you would be, um, you would have the rights to certain, yeah, protections through your employer, through um, your healthcare and things. But yeah, that, I think you're right. I think it's an, a notion that's been sort of explored. And again, would increase that visibility because it would yes. it would give people sort of legal protection yes. that would yeah. recognise the role and the ways in which they're impacted on people and therefore mean people have you know more health inequalities, less access to employment because people have to leave work. So yeah, I think there is discussions around that and it is one sort of such way of of raising the profile and meaning that there is more protection there, isn't there? Well, to some extent, this was done with the Care Act 2014, but within the Act, it was put down not as a must, but as a recommendation. Yeah. And the first thing the government did when COVID came was to dilute the Care Act so that the responsibilities of councils, if they so wished, they could apply for certain of their responsibilities to be temporarily put at one side. Not many councils did. Sheffield certainly didn't. But my disgust was that it was the first thing the government did when really the first thing the government should have been doing is provide more money. Yes. Yeah, and I think the Care Act does cover some of the things we've been talking about, but as with the lessons learned, we've not really seen it put into action, have we? And I think that's... Some of the frustration. To get councils to do to abide by the Care Act, you've got to take legal action. And another aspect is that legal aid has been drastically reduced. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that was done uh, implicitly to safeguard people not to, to bring legal action, one would currently hazard a guess. It's a costly process, it's a lengthy process. And really, unless a, a carer gets another organisation to fund them, they're not going to have the ability to do so. It's as though everybody is against an unpaid carer and people with care needs. So I think, I mean, I think what we're saying isn't that, is that there is a long way to go and a lot yeah. to be done. And funding would be certainly you know, vital in that process yes. in terms of funding... Uh, people in various sort of posts, so social workers, care workers, and also not just funding more care workers, but that that being a valued absolutely occupation that is reflected in the salary that people get, but also the sort of public esteem. We saw yes. the sort of you know clap for the NHS during COVID, yeah. and I think it felt like care was was brought in at the last minute, but actually wasn't fully part of that discussion, was it as well? So this invisibility impacts on not only the kind of support that people can get, but how as a, as a sector it's, it's valued. Yes. And I think that, sorry. When we're talking about to finance, a lot of the time the uh, carers' allowance is mentioned that do people really know what the carers' allowance is? It's not, an, it's not an allowance for caring. 
It's an allowance to supplement people's income by not being able to work as much. So, and the minute do, you get your state do. pension, you, yeah. it, it's you taken it. away again. You still have to make a declaration that you you could have it, but in reality you won't because technically on state pension you're not you're not losing income. Yeah. But you're still caring. You're still caring yes. So it's not a payment for caring. No. It's a payment for loss of income. I've just realised since I was sitting here, and it is an aside, and it's very subjective. I worked here at this university for 28 years, and to protect my health and sanity, I took early retirement at the age of 58, and we worked it out, and there was um, an offer on at the time. But that's seven years of pension contributions by me and the university that I lost out on, isn't it? Yes. In order to be be a full-time carer. Yeah. Because I could no longer hold down a very responsible job and juggle all the balls. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps, just like when you retire through ill health and you get your full pension, that's the sort of area that should be protected by law. Yes. Because you're leaving for a specific person purpose to do a specific task. Absolutely, and the impact of needing to leave work on pensions, and then yes. how what people's um, financial sort of stability in older right. age then is, I think, is a huge factor as well. That means that people are making decisions during their working age that has implications for their whole life, doesn't yes. it? As well, yeah. so yes, that's I think something that. Um, Again, probably isn't seen. You made that decision in that moment, don't you? But you don't then think 20 years from now, that's less pension that I've paid into. Yes. And if you're lucky to be able to get carer's allowance and do some work as well, it's not an untaxable benefit, it's taxable. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) I'm not sure what the current amount is, but I think it's less than 70 a week. Something like £68 something, I think. Yeah. Not that I've had it for years. It's, it's welcome if you can get it, but um, certainly in the current climate, it doesn't really help that much. Yes, and also, like you say, something else people maybe don't have awareness that they're entitled to either. If people That's aren't right. identifying as a carer, or they're not seeking some of that support, then, then they could be missing out on a benefit that they... Yeah. Even if it's not, it's not the point we'd like to see it. It could be helpful for someone if they may not know. I worked what the hourly rate was at one point, and that was about five or six years ago, and it worked out to be one point ninety two an hour based okay. on the minimum hours of thirty five a week. Right. I'm going to draw it to a close. I think because um, there's just yeah so much there to think about, and it's been so fascinating to talk through. But I, yes, I think we've. we've we, you know, we, our discussions, as we already kind of suspected, are that this is a, a huge and multifaceted sort of range of issues that then ultimately impact on on carers and on the people that they care for. Uh, so this is, and, and unfortunately, there's not one one fix. Although we can certainly see that there are a couple of key things that could happen, and that's funding and um, an awareness and esteem, esteem and the profile yes. of, of adult social care, isn't it? But thank you so much, Chris. And Liz, for coming to talk to us. It's been fascinating to hear sort of your thoughts and experiences and certainly give us a lot to think about and maybe 
maybe it's, it's <laughs> we don't know, maybe not much hope at the minute, but if we're all sort of saying similar things and pushing this forward, hopefully we'll, we'll start to see some changes. But thank you so much for your time. Well, the good thank thing you. is that actions like this are taking place, yes. which is hopefully beneficial. Yes, hopefully, and the other people are saying similar things to, to, to make change. But thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.